guys, keep your Bibles open there at, uh, at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to look at that together. How about I pray and we'll begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for your word to us. It is very good. It is a light, actually, in dark places. And death is a dark, is a dark place. And we pray, Father, as we consider it this morning and hear the light of your word, that we would uh, be encouraged by it and move to follow you and love you. And we pray for your help to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Some of you here, some of you here will know about grieving from first-hand experience. Strangely, I think as a society, we seem to know uh, less and less about death than other generations. It's partly because our medical advances have sheltered us from it, but also driven by that when death does arrive, we tend to hide it away far more than it was once used to be. But even though, even so, some of you here will know well and truly what grief is about. All of us in time will know what grief is about. And the Apostle Paul teaches us here that he does not want us to grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. It's worth just thinking for a moment about what grief is like and what it does. Grief is like being assaulted in some ways. It's like being stabbed. It attacks your humanity. And it attacks your humanity on every single front. Grief, real grief often affects the body. Uh, sometimes, often actually, there is physical pain for a grieving person. Sometimes, often, there is uncontrolled weeping. It assaults our senses. Your senses are bereaved because the person you've lost, you, you long for their touch and you long for the sound of their voice and you long to see their face and you long to remember their smell. All those things are bereaved by grief. Grief affects the mind. By God's grace, we have a wonderful gift called imagination. And one of the great things about imagination is it does allow you to transcend time. But imagination can help grief, but also add to it. Because even now you can imagine and think, what would he be like now? What would she be like now? And your imagination helps, but also adds to it. Even, even me now, as I, we were singing the song Rock of Ages, I cannot really sing the last... I find it very difficult to sing the last verse of that song because it keeps reminding me and I imagine my dad in his death. And, and it's not just imagination, it's memory. For when someone dies, you, well, someone close to you dies, you really, you really want them back. You miss them so much, you want them back. And so what do you do? You recreate them through your memories. You want them back, you call upon your memory to help you. But the trouble is, as you know, that memories, well, memories get lost. And over the years, there is a, a gradual fragmentation of your memory. And it, it is no longer a continuous memory. It's no longer as reliable as it, as it once was. And, 
And you can begin to wonder, was she really like that? Was he really like that? And you can second guess yourself. And you, oh, if, I, if he was really like that, why didn't he say this to me? And memory plays tricks on you and deceives you. So memory at one level ministers to you in grief at the same time as adding to it. The grief obviously affects the heart. And your heart gets assaulted and stabbed. It's a wounded love. It testifies to, the, to a separation. Decisions that we used to make together. What are we going to do Saturday? Is now made alone. Even small trivial decisions like, well, what are we going to do? Where will we go out for dinner tonight? What are we going to cook for dinner tonight? Those decisions are made alone. And as each decision gets made day after day, day after day, the the two lives float apart and invariably you become slightly a different person even though you don't want to become a different person. You wish it to be as it was and grief has come and stabbed you. And of course, grief assaults your conscience because your conscience remembers words that shouldn't have been spoken, but that were. And of course, your conscience is reminded that there are words that you should have said, but you didn't. There are wrongs that weren't righted, that should have been, and forgiveness that should have happened that didn't, and our conscience is assaulted with regrets. Can you see that grief really does assault? It assaults us. Every single part of us. It even assaults our knowledge. It's an odd one that you might not have worked out or, or seen. Because it does raise profound and deep questions that, we, that we've got to face. And troubling questions. That when someone close to you dies, it's, it's, is he okay? Is she okay? Where are they? Will I see them again? I mean, if I die, can I find my way to them? Death assaults our knowledge and, I think, like nothing else in life, exposes a profound ignorance that we have. Which is why the opening lines of our passage today are really quite striking. Because have a look there at verse, chapter 1, verse, uh, 1 Thessalonians verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 14. Look at how the Apostle Paul starts his section. He says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. That is, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We don't want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want your knowledge to be assaulted here. We want to inform you. Now, it's funny, isn't it? There are all sorts of areas of life where if you are ignorant, it doesn't really matter. What are the 11 secret herbs and spices in KFC? I don't know. That I'm ignorant of that, who cares? But being ignorant of death, oh wow, that's a biggie. That'd be a disaster. And what the Apostle Paul says, I want to inform you. In fact, he actually wants to transform you, transform your grief, transform it with the gospel. And in this way, he's picking up, if you were here last week, you'll you'll notice this. He's picking up some of the stuff we, we did see last week. Because last week, we saw he wanted the gospel to transform sex. 
And he's saying the gospel is so powerful that it actually has the power to take selfishness out of sex for you. So you actually honour one another. Wow, that's powerful. And he goes, but the gospel is so powerful it can transform work and take selfish ambition out of work so that work is no longer just a sheer measure of your identity and life. That's powerful. This week we're seeing the gospel is so powerful it can take ignorance out of death. How does it do it? We'll come back, come to the te- come to the chapter, uh, chapter, so verse four again of that of our, our first verse there. When he says, "Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who fall asleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope." Now, before he gets to how the gospel takes ignorance out of death, I, I take it here he just wants to speak about death and grief that comes from death in and of itself. And as he does that, he says, we do not want you to grieve like the rest of mankind. He's not saying we do not want you to grieve, full stop. It's not like the informed person won't grieve. That's not the case. That is not genuine Christianity. Grief is real. And when death comes, grief will come. And death and grief ought not to be separated. That should be obvious. You just read the pages of the New Testament and you see Jesus. He's there at the, at the tomb of Lazarus. Weeping. There's nothing wrong with weeping in the face of death. In fact, if you lose a friend and you don't weep, well, either there's something wrong with you or it hasn't hit you yet. He's not saying don't grieve. He's actually saying once the ignorance is gone, you ought to grieve differently. If a brother and sister in Christ dies, that's the particular thing he's talking about here. He says you will grieve. Of course you will mourn. Of course you will miss them. But don't be ignorant. The gospel makes a difference and it will transform your grief. And the way, the primary difference the gospel makes is hope. I don't want you to be uninformed so you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Now, isn't that a fascinating way to talk about grief outside of Christianity? That the kind of grief he says there, that the rest of mankind grieves as those who have no hope. Now, I want you to understand this quite carefully here because it's not as though people in Paul's day back then didn't have ideas about life and life after death. It's not as though they didn't have thoughts about what happened to people when they died. They clearly had thoughts. There were plenty of thoughts. Just like nowadays, there are plenty of thoughts. You know, plenty of people go, oh, I believe this happens, you believe that happens, I've got this idea, you got that idea. And we have ideas ranging from things like when you're dead, you're dead. That's it. That's one idea. There's the idea of reincarnation. That's another idea. Others have the idea of purgatory. Others, you know, you go to funeral, oh, they're in the stars. She's become an angel. The dolphins are looking after them, whatever that means. They're just ideas. Wishful thinking, mere speculation. Ignorant, wishful thinking. They do not deserve this name, hope. Because Paul wants to highlight for us, the Apostle says the gospel doesn't bring wishful thinking and speculation the gospel brings news of Jesus Christ died and it brings news of him raised back to life again. And so Jesus doesn't speak about life after death from a point of view of ignorance and speculation. 
He, he speaks of it from a point of view of personal experience. And that is what brings hope. And, he, and, 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 the, and the, the knowledge we need to know is, look at verse 14 here, he's, here is the, he's helping us out of ignorance. He says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So he, here is the knowledge and the hope, because the truth is, he says, well, the, the truth is Jesus did die. That's where he starts. He, he genuinely died, dead and buried in, that, in, the, in the tomb. But he says the truth is also that Jesus genuinely rose again, resurrected to life, attested to and seen by we have all sorts of witnesses. And he's saying if, if, you, if you can see that Jesus died and that Jesus rose again, that's the truth. There's another truth that just naturally flows on from that. The truth we saw in the kids' talk. That Jesus was just the first fruits. That there is a harvest, a harvest of people being raised from the dead that's coming. He will bring, it says, with him or to him. It's hard to know precisely which one is meant there, but either way, all those who have died in him will be raised when he returns. This is the hope. And of course, that kind of hope raises a question if you're trying to think logically through it because it raises the kind of questions, well, if that's all good and well for those who have died in Christ, they're going to be raised with him when Jesus returns. But what about us who are still alive at the same time? What's going to happen to us? Well, verse 15, he says, According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who fall asleep. Uh, this, this is an important piece, I think, if you're going to learn to grieve with hope. Because he's, uh, he's saying kind of, here are the two things he's saying. Here. The first thing he's saying is death is not the end. So Jesus will definitely bring back those who have died in him. And secondly, he's saying, and don't worry about yourself. Those who are still alive at the time when Jesus returns, they'll be brought to him as well. And in saying those two things, I want you, can you hear the comfort of what he's saying there? Because he's saying, don't worry, no one will miss out. That's what he's saying. You can grieve with hope because no one, alive or dead, if they're in Christ, if they're alive in Christ or they've died in Christ, the reality is when the Lord comes, none of his people will miss out. No one will be at any particular advantage. Everyone will be included. And I think it's a great little comment there because he's kind of saying if you have no advantage on that day when Jesus comes back and so that no one's going to miss out, that, that's a really good comment about life right now, isn't it? Because it's kind of saying, you know, no matter what happens on this earth right now, no matter what the dead person in Christ is going to miss out on, they're not missing out on anything if they're not missing out on that day. Everything that happens between now and then will kind of be a small thing compared to the day when he returns. And if you're not missing out on the day when he returns, you're not missing out on anything. Now, to clear up our, our ignorance just a little bit more, what the Apostle Paul now does from verse 16 is he, he, he paints a picture for us with words. And, uh, and as, as before we actually look at the picture of what, he, or what it's actually going to be like when the Lord returns... It's just worth me making a few small little comments about words of warnings about pictures. Um, because the Bible does present us with a number of pictures of the end. There are pictures of the end of the world, pictures of the return of Jesus, pictures of judgment, pictures of heaven. 
there are quite a number of pictures in the New Testament. And as you come to those pictures, you do, you do need to avoid two different errors. The first error is to think, oh, it's just a picture, so it bears no resemblance at all to reality. It's, it's, just, a, it's just a bit of make-believe, just disregard it. That's, not as many people fall into that, 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 that problem, but hear that warning. The second error is to read too much into the picture and to get fixated on the details of the picture and make too much of the details. Now, it's, the reason Jesus gives us pictures in the first place is because the return of Jesus is really completely out, out of anyone's experience. No one's got experience of what that's really going to be like. We don't really have words that can describe it accurately for us. It's way beyond our experience. But what we do have is a picture. That's what God gives us. Pictures, things that we can see and grasp. They give us a, a feeling of, of, of what, what it's actually going to be like. A pencil sketch, if you like. But all too often what happens in Christian writings, actually, is that people often can fall into this second error. And then rather than standing back and seeing the picture, the big picture of what it's trying to, trying to get you to grasp of what that day is going to be like, which really you have no idea about because no one's got any experience, what they do is they get the picture and they kind of go right into the minutiae. They get right up really close, evaluating every single pencil stroke, treating it like a photo rather than like a picture, and pressing the details in a way that they're not meant to be pressed. It's a bit like, you know, at home, we don't have a TV at home, but we do have a data projector that's kind of at the back of one of our rooms in our rumpus room and just projects whatever we want to watch onto a big wall. And so you've got this, you know, you've got your wall, which is the screen now, and it's like two metres, but whatever else it is. Now, we were at home not so long ago, and one of our boys who remained anonymous um, was kind of walking up to the wall, walking back to the chair, walking up to the wall, walking back to the chair, and said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm pixelating. I'm pixelating. Because if you, when, the, when the screen's like, you can get right up close to it and you can see just one pixel of the screen. Then he'd walk back and sit and he's just pixelating. And uh, that's not how you're meant to watch television, right? Or meant to, you're meant to actually sit back and take it all in. But he's pixelating. Okay? We've got to be careful not to pixelate. With that warning in place, look at, and try and imagine, as I read this, try and picture in your head the image that is painted for us here by the Apostle Paul. He says, look at verse 16, he says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Okay, that's the picture. Stand back and take it in. As you take it in, notice these three things. The first one is the return of Jesus. It's already been mentioned in the passage, but he mentions it again because it's so, so uh, critical to having grief with hope. The Lord will return. Now, it would be foolish to pixelate and try and imagine how that's going to happen. And imagine the t dates and the times and the details. And, and there are Christian books and people have written on this kind of subject and they see this picture and they notice other pictures and then they pixelate and they, and they go, oh man, you know what, finally, in our day and age, it might happen. Because at last we now have the technology because now everyone's got a phone 
and everyone's got an iPad and there's so many TV screens out there. Because when the Lord returns, every eye will see. And now we've got so many screens on the planet. Every eye can see. We have the technology. Jesus can come back. Okay? Pixelation, right? Foolishness. Nonsense. As if God couldn't have done it until we came up with the technology. Right? Ridiculous. That the God who created the universe couldn't have pulled it off by himself. I mean, it's foolishness to pixelate like that and imagine how it might happen. But it's also a foolishness to say, oh, it's just a picture, it'll never happen. The return of Jesus will happen. How God will do that so that every eye will see, I don't know. But that I don't know is not a big issue. God does lots of things. I don't know how he does it. But he will do this. And Paul is urging us here that if you are going to grieve properly, this needs to be part of your mindset. And so as you walk around this planet, if you're not in, if it's not really deep in your mind that you are expecting the Lord to return, then you are ignorant. And you are going to grieve like those who have no hope. The second part of the picture here is, the, is this picture of the resurrection of the dead because he says that the dead in Christ will rise first. Now again, it's crazy, isn't it, to pixelate and just go, oh, I can't, how, how's that going to happen? I don't know how it's going to happen. And you start, you start to pixelate and you start to think, oh, look, I, can't, I shouldn't be cremated. I ought to be buried because if I'm buried, God will be able to get my stuff together and raise me up. It's a genuine concern. But my mum had this concern that when my father died, and he died overseas, and so it was very difficult to get the body back. And so he was cremated overseas and brought home his dust. Now, how is God going to get just dust and bring my dad back to, back and to be meeting in the air? Well, given he created mankind from the dust in the first place, I don't think it's going to be a bit of any... But you don't want to pixelate that. You don't want to pixelate like that and just go... The, the, the image here is, however God does it, I don't know, but he will bring everybody back, no matter how they died, whether they fell into a volcano, whatever dust is, I don't, whatever, whatever it is, he'll be able to bring everyone back. And if you walk around this planet without, in your mindset, going, the dead will actually rise, if you walk around like, you'd, you'd be ignorant. The dead will rise. And if you think they won't, then you will grieve without hope. The third part of the picture here, which I think is a wonderful part of the picture, it's there in verse 17, which is this, this idea of the reunion of us all. Look at what he says. There. He says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to, uh, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. Now the picture here shows us that this day that's coming when the Lord returns and the dead will rise and that we'll be caught up with them, it's this idea that we'll be, we'll be reunited. There's a reunion. So that, that concern of, oh, will I ever see them again? Will I be able to find them? Going, absolutely. You'll be reunited, not just with them, it says, even better, with the Lord forever. And if you've got that picture in your mind... And if this is an, an expectation that you walk around the planet with, then Paul's going to say, you're no longer ignorant and you won't grieve as those who have no hope. And he says, and if you're like that, don't keep that to yourself. Look at verse 18. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
And I think one of the remarkable things that come out of this picture is that for us, death is no longer to be a taboo topic. Something that we refuse to talk about. It ought to be on our lips. And our lips regularly. Not to speculate to with each other to say and sit down and go, well, you got that idea and I got this idea. No, no, no. But a subject where we encourage one another with these words. And it is remarkable because it means that we don't have to be like Job's friends in the Old Testament. Yeah, they were the ones who, in the midst of Job's suffering and grief, speculated and said things that were totally unhelpful. That's not to be us. Jesus died and rose again. God will bring back those who have died in Christ. They will rise first. Death is not the end. Those who are alive at the time will be reunited with them. A great happy reunion forever with the Lord, which means no one will miss out. No one in Christ will miss out. Encourage one another. We're commanded with these words. Brothers and sisters, as I encourage you this morning to obey that command, to encourage one another, can I commend to you to do it with some insight? One of the insights I want to share with you is is this. Take it or leave it, but I want to share this one with you and see what you think. I want you to notice that grieving actually takes place in several times. It takes place before a death occurs. That's when it starts. That's if the death is going to be expected. It starts before the death happens. Grief then also happens at the place of death. And of course, grief happens after the death. Now, for Christian people, it seems to me that they are grieving quite differently to the world around them when a brother or a sister in Christ dies at the time of death, they grieve differently. After the death has occurred, they seem to grieve differently. Where we're doing poorly, it seems to me, very poorly, is before the death. Many Christians have not yet really come to terms with the idea of our mortality. One of the areas where you notice this is in just how many health and healing ministries there are around. Now, I'm all for praying for people to get healthier, all for praying for people who are sick. Don't hear me wrong at that point. But some of the health and healing ministries are all about a denial of the reality of death and that we will actually die. And it seems to me we, even Christians, can tend to think that the worst thing that could ever, ever possibly happen to you is that you die. That simply isn't true. To have to live your life with your sins unforgiven, that is far worse, by far. Having unrepentant sin in your life is far worse, by far. This is, this is a hypothetical case, it's not real, but just imagine, just imagine if in the future I was to fall into some form of sexual immorality. I'd far prefer to die now then live another 20 years as someone who's sexually immoral and dishonour my Lord and be unfaithful to my wife. That sin is far worse by far. 
Death really isn't the worst thing that can happen to you. If you have knowledge of what God has done for us. But gee, many Christians are just like the world around us when death is arriving. They, 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 they're going, this is the worst thing ever. And they desperately try to avoid it. Spend all their money to avoid it. it, it I mean, I even heard a story this week of a Christian leader who died. And their church family missed him so much. They were desperately praying for him, holding all-night vigils to try and pray him back into life again. Friends, if I die, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. The last thing I'd want to do is come back, right? Especially to be with you, Mob, right? That's overstated, overstated. Leave me where I am. Um, Don't grieve like those who have no hope. Who actually think that the dead person is worse off because because they've died. You may be worse off. You may be sad and worse off in your sorrow. You may want the person back, but you're not doing that person any kindness. They're with the Lord. And you see this when Christians, in the, when they grieve when death is coming, they often grieve like the world around them and where all their hope seems to be caught up in prolonging life. Now we should prolong life. I mean, don't, don't hear me being negative. But we mustn't be like the pagans who see death as the worst thing that can ever, ever possibly happen to someone. We who have Christ know of resurrection beyond the death and so we need not face death with the same fear and foreboding as those who have no hope. Well, there's our passage. As we conclude, I do want to touch on one significant topic which isn't touched on by the passage, but I think it's a problem that will be in many people's minds right now. That is... This passage is really all about grieving for those who have died in Christ. That is, grieving about Christians who have died. But they're not the only ones who die, right? Many of us have heartaches, deep heartaches, over loved ones who have died and we don't know if they were in Christ or not. In fact, we may even be fairly sure that they weren't. Does the Bible have anything to say about that? Anything to say about that kind of grief? Do we grieve over those people as if we have no hope? Is that what we're to do? Now, this passage clearly isn't about that kind of situation. So you don't want to kind of over-pixelate it and say it is. It's, It's clearly not. It's about those who die in Christ. But other parts of the Bible do speak to us words that I think we do need to hear that speak into that kind of situation. It's not really addressed specifically, but we do hear great things from God that that we need to keep in mind. God is always saying to us, and we need to keep this in mind, I want you to know, he says, that I'm always good. I want you to know that I'm always loving. And I want you to know that you can trust me in my goodness. He says, I also want you to know that I'm fair and that I love justice and that no one will be walking away from the judgment seat of Christ saying, you know what, I got ripped off. No one's going to be saying that. And God's not going to say that the way in which you will cope 
is that you'll just love that person less and so you won't think about them so much. Our love will be perfected on that day. But in some ways he also does tell us that when we are with him forever, that in that day one of the pictures we get is that there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more mourning because the old order of things have passed away. Now how will God do that? That I will not love the person any less and at the same time there will be no more mourning, crying and pain? How can God pull that off when he returns and we're in heaven with him forever? I don't know. But I've learnt that when I have no idea, it doesn't mean that God can't do that. He's infinitely more able and competent and loving and kind than I am. And he can do it. And he will do it. What we need to do now is with urgency speak to the living. To encourage one another with these words. And urge people to come to Christ before he returns. And how about I pray that we do these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do just thank you for your word and its, its clarity. We pray, Father, that we would be people who do encourage one another with these words. And we pray for those among us right now grieving. Whether they're grieving after the someone's died or because someone's just recently died. But Father, help us to help each other grieve well in the lead up to death. That we would grieve with hope. That there would be joy for our grief. And Father, we thank you that we can grieve with such great assurance. Help us to encourage one another with these words. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.